everyone, and this is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville, and we are currently studying the various missionary trips of Paul, and we are about to start Chapter 18 in Acts. And so, with that, yes. And I have things to say about that, believe it or not. Uh, you know, let me let me teach my lesson. <laughs> let me let's see. I introduce it, and then you make comments. That's how this works. Okay. So Paul has been in Athens, and he gave his big speech, which we studied last last week. And uh, just as he got him kind of hooked and interested, he packed up and left. And he went from Athens, which was the intellectual center of the Greek society, to Corinth, which is the center of moral depravity in Greek society. And we've talked about Corinth before. Uh, it, uh, it, it had uh, Greek gods that were focused on sensuality and uh, the priests of Athena were basically functioning prostitutes. And as a result, they had a uh, significantly higher number of sex workers in Corinth uh, per capita than anywhere else in the Greek world. Vegas. And it, yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought the modern equivalent is Vegas. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and everything that goes with that is just moral darkness and uh, Paul walked into all of that and started speaking to the Jewish population that was there and there was enough there for there to be a synagogue. I was there in Vegas with a friend of mine. Oh, story about Vegas, of course there is. And, and his, his pa he was a friend of his, the pastor there in Vegas and his wife, and I'd never been there before and we're walking down the, the strip there and this guy walked up and said, I need $50 for a prostitute, can you give it to me? And, and it's like I didn't know what to say, and she just looked. She just looked at me, ignore him. I said, okay. Hey. Yeah, that's what it was. Oh, maybe you just didn't understand. Can you imagine being a, a minister there in that city? Before we jump into this, I made an observation as I was studying because it seems like. Paul splits up with uh, 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 Paul and Silas, Silas and Timothy, when they were back in, was it Berea where he left them? Okay, because they had just set up this church and they were going to stay and develop it. And Paul gets out of town because he, they were getting some uh, kickback and, and flack from the, from the government. And so he decided to take the pressure, supposedly, I guess, off the church development. And he let the quiet side of the team handle it. And, uh, and, and he uh, de-escalated. De and I thought, you know, Paul's just running off by himself. But that's not really the case. Um, we, we discovered earlier in Acts when the, the writer of Acts, which we know to be Luke, shifts from they to us in his pronouns 
and he starts referring to uh, including him the, the writer in the in the group however because in ancient narratives it was bad form for writing to mention yourself because that's showing how arrogant and egotistical you are so you don't mention yourself in your story uh, and so we have to assume that Luke is with the, the group when Paul and Silas splits up and Timothy goes with Silas and I have to assume that Luke goes with Paul, although he's not mentioned. So it's not like Paul is fussy and charging off solo. Is that supposition though? It's just a, well, yes. Yes, it is. However, it is very well-founded supposition based upon the clues and the context and the cultural at hand. That's what we do here. Yeah, okay. So, um, I think it, it wasn't so much Paul being fussy. It was just a division of uh, the, uh, the, the, the entourage. And so... They basically ran him out of town on a rail. Well, the... They made it a good idea for him to move on, and I they think there was no rail involved, and, and they hadn't invented tarring. It's a metaphor. And, they hadn't invented tarring and feathering yet. So uh, I think he and Luke walked out of town, and I think Luke is attending to Paul, and he's also taking a lot of notes along the way. And so I think there is, you know, there may even be more people with Paul than th than that, but they're not mentioned, and all of that is as Mr. Yak likes to say, uh, from silence. So having said all of that, I only want to read through the first four paragraphs because in this chapter, Luke gives us a ton of information. There is a lot of travel. There is a lot of people, and he is assuming that his readership knows exactly what he's talking about. And you have to remember that Luke had no concept that uh, a bunch of spoiled Americans were going to be reading his book 2,000 years after he wrote it. And he was assuming that his audience, whom he knew many of them, because it's kind of a, a document and a letter going out to the churches, they already know all the people he's referring to. So he's, he's saying, oh yeah, that guy's teaching in your church. Well, he was here, and that's where he comes from. And he's basically establishing this, this, this church history in order to give all these churches solidity and context. So we have all these churches in different towns that are connected to each other and they had that they're supporting each other. So having said that, just the first four verses and then we'll, we'll, we'll break that down. After this, verse one, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Luke had a reason for giving us all that, so we're going to break it out in a minute. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay, Pontus is in Italy, um, a ways off from Corinth. And uh, Claudius is the uh, Caesar in charge of Rome at this point. And according to scripture, 
He has run all the Jews out of Rome. Is he one of the crazy ones like Nero? No. Claudius was like one of the best Caesars there ever was. He was like Mr. Bureaucracy. He had it under control. Uh, he had a, had a bit of a speech impediment, but still best, best Caesar ever. Um, was that what it was? Well, that's it. Okay. I, I, I get my history from BBC. He survived the purge of the family because people went, oh, he's just a yeah, he's just right. stopping. He actually was the smartest person in the sure. family. We have looked for references of a purge of Jews in Rome under Claudius, and there is only one reference by a writer named Suetonius. And according to Suetonius, Claudius expelled the Jews because of unrest instigated by Crestus. And there is no reference to Crestus anywhere else by any other writer. And that's just curious. That's all we know. There was there was unrest and they sent them out. Well, maybe they banned all of them and killed him. That's why nobody ever heard of him. Maybe. Or, uh, as one commentator suggested, that it's a misspelling or a misunderstanding of the name and that the Crestus in question is the Christ and it, what's happening is that the established Jewish church in Rome is persecuting a Christian rebellion of the Christian, growing Christian church. That was the unrest. And in classic Roman maneuver, when you want to bring order to a riot, what you do is punish the person that's being attacked by the rioters. Genius. So they throw all the Christians out of Rome. And that way, all the Jews calm down, and we have peace again. Well, my, my Bible in the Word of the Bill said, I said this. Uh, the expulsion order was given by Suetonius. Uh, it was given Suetonius right because of the uh, Jews' continual tumults instigated by Crestus, a common misspelling of Christ. Well, see, if that's Crestus, a guess. If Crestus refers to Christ, the riots obviously were about him rather than led by him. Yes. Uh, and so I, I think Suetonius didn't quite know what it was all about, but heard that name thrown around. And so that's how you, you know, I, I, I think that's fair. Uh, anyway, you have these Jews that have run off to Corinth that are actually Italian, and they have recently settled. And, um, and they, they, they're probably already a part, of, part of an established Christian church. You have the beginnings of a, a transplanted Christian church in Corinth, the Vegas of Greece. Now that was one of his most troublesome churches, is Corinth. Well, we, we re he wrote him some fun letters. I know, that's what yeah. I mean. he, that was one of, the most, <coughs> one of his most worried. I think it was a challenging town. They were absolutely surrounded by sexual, sexual immorality and every other kind of morality, and uh, it would be really hard to live a, a pure and sinless life in this town. So uh, that's, there, that's where the Pontus comes from. And then we have this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. I looked up Aquila trying to find some kind of historical reference on him. And other than broad statements that he was an early church leader, they know nothing about Aquila. We, we've got very little. 
But if you look up Priscilla, volumes show up. And it seems that Priscilla is, uh, means daughter of Prescus. It's uh, uh, of this family. Uh, her, she doesn't really have a name. It's basically saying who her father is. And uh, the Prescus was a power family in this town where they were from, Pontus. And uh, the Prescus had uh, investments in business. They had, uh, they had people that were in government. And they had people that were priests. They had all of the power centers covered. Uh, we can assume that Priscilla, uh, even though she got run out of town, is very, very well connected. You okay? Okay. Thank you. I am very concerned about it. Yeah, they were with Paul in several different places. They're about to travel with him in just a minute. We hadn't got that far. So uh, we have these transplanted Jewish people, and they are from Italy, and, and they're Christian, and the wife is connected. So Aquila married up, basically, you know. Uh, do you? I, I, me too, brother, really. She's the faith and uh, the Clayton of that little... Uh, there you go. There you go. And... Um, he was smart. He married a rich woman. So Paul <laughs> went to see them, and because... Here's the weird statement. He was a tent maker? Well, love is love, you know. As they were, he stayed and worked with them. I'm sorry, does that just seem weird to you? Does that sound like that doesn't fit with the rest of the picture? No, it exactly fits. How does it exactly fit? He's an apostle going around and building houses of God and tents and baths. That's not how he started. Paul studied as a rabbi under the big shot guy that starts with a G. You know this name. Gamaliel. Okay. Um, you know, studying under teachers has never been free in any society. And I suspect that to study under the biggest name in Jerusalem would require a little bit of coin. I think that Paul uh, had some money. I think Paul came from some money in, from the, his Jewish family in Tarsus. Paul was incredibly well studied. Paul was GT. We can tell that from all of his writing. He was an attorney. He writes like an attorney, like a debater. Uh, his, his mind thinks in, in legalistic, structural ways. He is a logical person. Paul has studied Hebrew in depth. Paul also, we know from his writings, is familiar with Greek mythology to the point that he can quote Greek philosophers talking about Atlas and whatnot. You know, he's using that when he's reaching Greeks. I would have to assume that he also knows a little bit about all of the other pagan faiths that are going on around him. Paul is a guy that is comfortable reading books. Well, yeah, but oh, oh, please let me. I've got so much more ranting to but go. The thing, the thing is, can't somebody work for a living? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I have a point. I have a point. Okay, Hebrew schools recognize something that modern schools have, have also caught up with. If you are churning out all of these GT academians, 
uh, sometimes they all can't find jobs and some of them have to actually, you know, support themselves. And so in order to graduate from a Hebrew school at the junior high level, you have to have some trade experience. They actually have, they didn't call it GTE, but, uh, or CTE, which was my department, uh, that you, you had to have some career knowledge. And so, you know, we, 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 we've got quite the, the, the list now, but at the time, it was stonemasonry. That's where you could get a job anytime, anywhere. Stonemasonry was miserable. There's tons of physical labor there, literally tons. And uh, it was hard work, and it required math. And it was, you know, it, 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 it was guaranteed labor, but it, it oh, I don't see Paul doing this. I just don't. And then the number two might have been carpentry, but this was a land that didn't have a lot of trees. You know, Joseph was kind of out of place here, I'm thinking. I don't know how much business he got. Um, but uh, carpentry requires a whole lot of measuring and precise cutting. And even if you do all the math right, there's this uh, accuracy thing with your saws that you have to come through, and you can still screw it all up even though you did everything right on paper. Uh, I can tell you with certainty. Uh, uh, you know, <coughs> carpentry is not easy. Um, and then there's leather making. That's one of them. We've talked about this. And since urine and sewage are two of the working materials in leather making, it was not a popular profession. It was a profitable one, but you had to like hang out at church, in fact, hang out at town, and you had to live outside the, the, the border of the town out with the lepers most of the time because nobody wanted to smell you. Uh, I don't see Paul doing that either. What he needed was the dunk class, because every school's got one of those. It's the one that you put the geeks in that don't fit in anywhere else. The band guy that's being forced to take, you know, tech, and, and, and he, he, he doesn't want to take anything, so we stick him in something that where he's not going to have any challenges and he can make an easy grade, which at Greenville High School is computer programming. Um, yeah, I do. Because if you ask anybody in Greenville computer programming, uh, the uh, student will say, all you do is play games all day long. And you know what? They're right. You heard me, Tyndall. Okay. So, so. I got issues. We've had this conversation before. Uh, in any case, uh, you know, Kilgore Junior College, to get an associate degree, you have to take a PE course, okay? I took tennis. I, I bought a tennis racket and I dressed out and I put on the dumb little white shorts. The dumb little white shorts. I was a terrible tennis player, but I tried it on for size. I tried it on for size. I lost almost every match. 
And at one point, I got a big bucket of balls, and I would bounce it and hit it and try to see how many courts I could launch the ball over before it went into the highway. And I basically was trying to bomb cars. That was the most exciting thing about tennis that I had. But not in the business okay. meeting when they announced you as the treasurer. I want to put that But that was not a dunk class. <laughs> there were people that actually played tennis in tennis, and they did it well. The dunk class at Kilgore Junior College was bowling. Bowling. And that's where Pentecostal girls in denim skirts who don't want to dress out and have no physical act, uh, 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 aspirations at all go, and you get an easy A because they don't even take grades. You were not in a bowling alley. No, no, I did not take bowling. I audited bowling and I met my wife there. Okay. <laughs> there oh, what, what's that? They use in Greek times they use urine to wash clothes with and so they had people that the, the job was to go through through the towns and collect the urine yeah that's a great job Bill. <laughs> yeah you left that job off i'm glad i never had that one okay uh paul paul here's how if i'm writing the next season of the chosen this is how i'm going to write this paul was in junior high and he was college bound because he was going to be an attorney basically he was going to be a rabbi and they forced him to learn something and he took the easiest course that they could possibly get away with which was tent making and with tent making you don't actually make the cloth you, you take the cloth and you sew one long seam in that cloth and then you put a stick under it and you stabilize the stick and then you make it pretty that's tent making it's, it's like, it would be like a one semester course, you know, at a high school. And I don't see Paul, yeah, Paul spent a lot of time being a good attorney. You know, that's where, you can tell that's where he spent his time. So, uh, Paul finds himself in a town where, you know, there, he doesn't have, have any connections and he doesn't have any support and he needs money, which is, you know, and so Jews have this, 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 this trade that they have to pursue. So he goes and finds this newly established Christian couple that he just met at the synagogue and says, you know, in junior high, I, I took tent making. And they hired him so that he could pay his rent. That's how I interpret it. What do you think is vengeance at first? Vengeance? What? 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 Where do, you, where do you think his vengeance and hatred at first? Hatred? For the Christians came from. Whose? What? Paul, when he first started out, you know, before God struck him down the road. What do you? Where do you think that hatred came from? So strong. Does it have to be hatred? Well, he was pretty, pretty angry, wanting to kill, drag to jail, do whatever it took. I think he's just, yeah, I think he's motivated. He's being a good he's rabbi. He is, he is, he's yeah, a Pharisee. The Pharisee. Sure. I, I was listening to Dr. Jeffers on the way, and he was talking about that. He said Paul was just passionate about his belief system. Yeah. He switched to Christianity. He got a little bit nicer about it with Christianity. You know, they're, they're a men of conviction that actually live what they truly believe and will not compromise. And then there's the rest of us who are pragmatists. You know, think about the time when you, you know, I can think of lots of times where I did something that was blatantly against my belief system, but pragmatically it was the best thing to do. Financially, it was the best thing to do. I can slow that check down by three days. 
if I spill a little bit of coffee on the numbers and rub it off a little bit. <laughs> Technicality. Yeah. <laughs> they don't use checks so much anymore, probably for that reason. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, we all do that. But Paul was a man of conviction. Paul didn't break his convictions. I, I only know a few people that are so fanatical that they actually live by their own belief system completely. But he did have a temper. And they tend to be a little weird. Yeah, actually, Lester's one of them. He's a little weird. Paul did have a temper, though. <laughs> yeah. That was one thing Paul did. I agree. He never did get rid of that temper. That was one thing. So he's working for Priscilla and Aquila who are Christians, and he's preaching in the synagogue in Corinth. Where is Luke in all of this? Following him around. Luke doesn't mention himself. Because I know you want in one of your... There are a lot of details in that one paragraph. This isn't secondhand. I know, but you, you wrote something in one of our studies back that you wondered if Luke was his personal physician that kept him going. Well, he was his personal aide, and Luke was a physician. So I imagine that he was helpful in that regard. You know? I don't think that was how Luke saw his purpose. No, but I'm sure he had to bandage him up a lot. Fair. All right, verse 5. <clears throat> when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. All right, so I want to tackle that paragraph. So Silas and Timothy finally catch up with him, and he's jumped two towns since he saw them last. And suddenly, he stops working for Priscilla and Aquila. And in 2 Corinthians 11, it confirms that when Silas and Timothy showed up, they brought financial support from Philippi. So Paul was working to pay his rent, you know, and suddenly he gets a little bit of support for his preaching. Now he goes back to full-time preaching once the rest of his party shows up. And uh, so, so now he's back to it. And when they protest, he gets mad. At the, and this is the synagogue. The Jewish people start kicking him back. And uh, your blood be in your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. He just walks away and, and he leaves. And look where he goes. It's awesome. Verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. So he leaves the synagogue in a big, mad, you know, hissy fit, which is what that sounds like. And he goes next door where a Gentile lives, and who's, of course, been attending, we assume, and he moves in with a Christian believer next door to the synagogue. And then the leader of the synagogue is converted. So Paul didn't go anywhere. He said that name again, Crispus. He announced that he was going to go to the Gentiles, but he just moved in next door and he eventually converted the Jew that was living that worked in the synagogue. You know, it was just he just uh, de-escalated the situation again. I guess. I just I just thought that was funny. 
Christmas, the synagogue ruler and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. So he's making some headway, and the early church in Corinth is growing, and he's already got some established people that were transplanted. And then, for the second time, Paul gets a visit from Jesus, his own self. He has a vision. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. Mine says, uh, hold not thy peace. Sounds good. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So because Paul has a vision of Christ that tells him to stay in Corinth, he stops his wandering and hissy-fitting and continues to teach and build this church. And this church, commentaries say, was critical in the spread of the gospel because of where it is. It was a crossroad with all kinds of just merchant you know, uh, 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 economies. Uh, there's lots of travel that goes through there. It was a crossroads of many kinds. And, uh, and it, it kind of reached out to the Greek world. Everybody in the Greek world had been through Corinth at one point or another. And as a result, it was New York of that, you know, that idea. And so if, if he has a big, strong church there, then the influence there could be incalculable as those people, uh, as people coming through Corinth are influenced by the church and as those people move out. Yes, Katie. So Christ had to knock Paul off his high horse once again. Yeah, that's kind of how I interpreted it because he is stomped out of three cities here at this point and, Je and Jesus shows up and goes, cool it, calm down, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're going to give me some flack. It's okay. You know, they're not going to beat you up again. I, I got this. There's enough, there's enough people here. And so he stays for a year and a half. And he doesn't even get beaten. No. But I notice that he leaves after. Again, it takes a year and a half before he gets some serious resistance from the Jews. And, and he takes off again. But it's not like Jesus showed up and said, okay, you can go now kind of wonder about that. I'm thinking, okay, is a year and a half enough for you, Lord? Okay, well, I'm, I'm calling it. I'm out of here. Did you he know? Step, it makes me wonder, did he step out of God's will? It makes me wonder, yes. I, th I think there, that is a possibility. In fact, looking at the rest of this chapter, I think the probability of that is is high. You can you can argue with me at will. But, okay. Uh, first... When we get into the part where he's going to go to Rome, I have some questions. Okay. Verse 12. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This is after a year and a half of preaching. Uh, this man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo, and this is the Roman council, says to the Jews, if you Jews were making a plaint, this is how I think he said this, uh, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. Since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle this yourself. I will not be the judge of such things. Because the Romans didn't want to 
wade into somebody else's religious conflict because that just caused more fuss. They didn't care. All they wanted was their tribute, and they wanted peace, their peace. And this was not something he wanted to get his fingers in, let them handle their own business. It's going to stay calmer if he just stays out of it. Uh, so he shuts them down. Before they even bring charges, he shuts them down, throwing this case out of court. So verse 16, he had them ejected from the court. Then things get weird. Verse 17, then they all turned on Susthenus, the synagogue ruler, who notices not the same synagogue ruler that we just saw, and beat him in front of the court. But Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. He just watched the show. So these Jews want to bring charges against Paul. The Romans kick it all out. And so the angry Jews that just got shut down by the Romans are standing on the steps of the Roman court and they beat up the synagogue ruler. Is that what happened? Because it doesn't say who they is. I'm going to assume the, Jew, I'm going to assume the ones that, that brought Paul to the judgment are the ones that beat him, the same ones. Or was it the Romans who upon throwing them out of court in order to make the point, beat up the guy that was bringing the charge, well, which was the synagogue ruler. Mine says the Greeks did. Yeah. Mine says either the Greeks or the Jews did it, but probably the Jews did it. Mine said that all the Greeks took Sinopi as the chief ruler. The Greeks were looking for a reason. To Those are the only two interpretations of this, and there's really no way to know that for sure. You know. So anyway, in any way, whoever was punching in, the synagogue ruler got beat up and nobody cared. He, he bled his way home and that was the end of that. Uh, okay, which brings us to verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria. Well, who gave him permission to do that? Did Jesus show up and say, wait, I told you to stay, but now you can go? I, I don't know. We don't know. Well, mine has a side note that says Paul, yeah. Paul returns to Antioch via Ephesus, Caesarea, and Jerusalem. Yep. It, it, that, that's where he hopefully ends up by the end of this chapter. He goes to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So they go with him, which is interesting. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sincrea, because of a vow he had taken. Well, that was an interesting tidbit of a fact thrown in there, because there's all these little things in this that Luke gives us. He made a vow to leave. Luke. Yeah, it, it, almost certainly it was a Nazarite vow. Uh, and, and basically, it, and usually that's a short vow of uh, 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 ma maintaining sanctified before God in, in order to supplicate prayer and so he may have been praying for something very specific I said sometimes they even cut their hair in the Nazarite vow to, add, to, uh, to express thanks for delivering from great danger fair mm -hmm. and, 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 you, and you cut your hair as the ending of the vow you didn't cut your hair during the vow and then you ceremonially cut your hair afterwards so he it's shaved it guy, it's real interesting the guy about grace and, and, uh, and freedom from all that that did a ritual yeah and then it's interesting, yeah. I think. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't get out from under this valve until he gets to Jerusalem. 
<laughs> well, that's where no, he, he cut his hair, right. and so it's done now. No, the vow. He cut his hair as the vow. No, and that's not how it works. Well, we'll find out when we get to Jerusalem. That's when I he got, guess we will, because that's when he got arrested in Jerusalem was during the during the ceremony to finish his vow, is what the Bible says. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. So they're staying in Ephesus. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, and when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. He didn't want to stay in Ephesus. But as he left, I promise to come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, which is again just north of Jerusalem, he is almost back, back home, he went up and greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch, which is where he lives. He basically went home. This whole paragraph is Paul chucking it and going home. Which is weird. I assume with Luke with him. So 23, it shifts. The story shifts, and Luke tells us what's going on back in Ephesus while Paul left. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from a place to place through the region of Galilee and Phrygia and strengthened the disciples. So Paul wasn't waiting around. Verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos that we have never heard of before, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he was a good Baptist. Uh -huh. Did you get it? Did you get it? Okay, good. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, which is the broad area around Corinth, he's talking about Corinth, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples where to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving that the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So Paul is approached by Jesus in a vision and says, take care of this church. There are many Christians here. Preach in Corinth. And he preaches for a year and a half. And then he leaves and he goes home. So another guy shows up. Who, another guy shows up and he's got a lot of the same skill set that Paul does. He has instruction in scriptures. He has already been converted to Christianity and has been following John, uh, the baptism of repentance. He, he knows about Christ and is accurately teaching about Christ. Uh, I assume that he has not been baptized in the spirit, which is you know what, what what I can take from that. He moves no. He moves in with Priscilla and Aquila, who Paul was staying with before, sleeping in the same bed. I have to assume, and they instruct him in the better way of Christ, and then he goes back to Corinth, 
and begins to pastor those churches. Do you think that Paul stepped out of the will of God so God had to bring him someone else? Yes, that is my implication. You want to fight with me? Huh? Would you like to contest that conjecture? No, I, I just asked you that question. <laughs> well, you want me, you want me to play that with Yeah, hit me, hit me. I don't know if I'm right, but that's what this feels well, like to me. God said stay. He didn't say stay for 10 years, 20 years. God said stay a little longer. A year and a half is a little longer. I think he needs to stay until God said go. Well, maybe how did that was silence? Maybe God did. Okay, went home, but missionaries are gone for four years and come home for rest and relaxation so they can rejuvenate. Fair. And before they go back on the thing. I mean, you may be right, but that, that's still an argument. Maybe God's plan the whole time was to raise up Apollos to be the Paul was a traveling apostle evangelist. Yeah. He, 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 you call stayed in one spot a year and a half traveling? In the grand scheme of eternity, yes. Okay, fair. That was the longest he ever stayed. And he established a church. Once this church is established with leadership, Christ brings in someone to actually take it from there and be the ongoing shepherd. And then Paul moves to the next thing. That's what an apostle evangelist does. We, you're going by terms of evangelist of 21st century church. Okay? Yes. Goes for a Sunday and a couple nights and move on. That is not the original form of being an evangelist. An evangelist stayed, established church, established leadership, moved on to the next thing when God told me. And I admit I'm suffering from being a 21st century white dude reading this and trying to figure out what. <laughs> right. I mean. Yeah. So, so I, I'm totally looking at this through my own culture. But, but, but having said that, once again, I'm going to evoke the name of my father, the esteemed Mr. Dwayne Evans, who always said that if we do not follow the will of God, God will raise up somebody to follow it for us. And if we don't get on the boat, the boat's going to sail anyway. And then where are we? I, I, I can agree with that, but there's no support for either one of our points on this. Fair, did, fair. Did, I'll give did, you that. And he did go back to Ephesus and establish a church there. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Paul was done. No, he wasn't. But done I think Paul was done with Corinth. I, I hate to, you know, because I hate to for just to assume that God was mad at Paul for this when it doesn't say that God was mad at Paul for this. True. And not only that, look at all the letters he wrote to the Corinthian church trying to straighten it out and keep it going on the straight and narrow. Yep. Because they kept taking it down the dark road. Division, since he specifically mentioned, some say I follow Apollo, some say I follow Paul. Mm -hmm. Like who's Paul and who's Apollos? You know, Paul follow God alone. But evidently, Apollo was Apollo was was doctrinal. He seemed to be on point. He he seemed to be the new leader they needed. Why well, they think some think he really he was the author of Hebrews? Oh really? Yeah. I haven't well, heard that one. Oh yeah. There's Priscilla and Aquila wrote it. Apollos wrote it. Or Barnabas. People are pretty much going away that Paul wrote it. That's an old thing. Because Hebrews uses in the Greek a lot of Alexandrian idiom mm -hmm. and phrases that you find in Alexandria. Yeah. Paul was Antioch of Tarsus. Right. A completely different form of Greek. The Greek in the book of Hebrews is Alexandrian formulation of the Greek language. That's fair. So they, they kind of think it, it, it was, it's either Apollos, Priscilla and Aquila, or Bar some even say it's Barnabas. The, the, the thought of Paul being author, there's growing very, very little scholars who accept that anymore as it used to be. Yeah. And Apollos was a very brilliant man, apparently. Yeah. Stephen. 
The only other point that I think I kind of missed here that I came across was that uh, Paul, when he met resistance, literally did the old Hebrew uh, tradition of shaking the dust off your clothes. Mm -hmm. What Jesus told his disciples to do. Yes, and, and, but Jesus didn't invent that. That was an old Jewish thing. And so when you have had it with this place, you're going to shake all the dust off. You're going to forget everything that just happened. You're no longer going to do business with that man that just cheated you. Shake off the dust, and then you walk away. You know what's the story behind that? What's that? that they, what they're really telling the person, I'm, I'm shaking the dust off my shoes, then you're, then you're facing the consequences of it. I want you to remember that guy. Oh, I see. Sir, leaving your dust on his floor. Do you remember when you're suffering because of your decision? Yeah. There was the dust. That dust represents your rejection of the, of the message. Huh. Matthew 7, 6, this is Christ speaking. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And I su submit that to ask this question. When do we give up? If we're, if we're with, we all have people that we would like to get converted and, and become part of the church and are rejecting it and uh, have no church background and roll their eyes when you talk to them. Yes. I think I may have a future daughter-in-law that's on that list now, you know. And so I, uh, when do you shake the dust off your feet? When, when, when God tells you to? Uh, what a, what a bad answer. Well, I, I actually. <laughs> a I, good one. But. I left two positions in ministry because I didn't want, I, I didn't want to. Yeah. But it, it was, and I'm, if you ask, if my wife were here, she'd tell you, I am a person that does not like change. I will stay with something just for the sake of staying with the familiarity. But I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. Lord, I just let you done what you were doing here. It's time for you to move on. Someone else take this, and I'm sending you somewhere to wipe somebody out. Mm -hmm. I did, the reason why we're in this part of Texas is because of that. I wanted to stay west of Fort Worth. I didn't know. I, I had panic attacks coming here. Right. But I felt beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was moving me. I didn't want to move. My first church, I was a youth pastor. I didn't want, want to leave that church. I loved that church. I, I did, but I knew not. And I always tried, I would be here with you, Ken, if I didn't obey God and stuff. Like, and, you know, everything. My daughter was so mad for us leaving Fort Worth. I keep her mad at reminding you when you met that husband that you're married to right now. We had to move here. It's God telling you we're done. Now, unless God tells you done, you pray and you do what you can to reach that for us. And we all know that Paul didn't pray before he left rest and God and Jesus said you're done here it's time to go we don't know that personal that's problem. true that's true because he was a praying man and he always tried to follow the will of God but now we're going to get into I think it's chapter 21 where I'm going to ask you some questions about did he step out of God's will completely well that's like two chapters away Bill we may be there in six months <laughs> actually we, we made good time today we got through a whole chapter and we will be picking up chapter 19 next week when Paul goes back to Ephesus
And with that, I'm signing off, and I apologize to everyone I've insulted today on the internet. <laughs> I didn't know you were, yeah.